Hey there, thanks for visiting the podcast of the Guelph Vineyard Church. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast using whatever platform you listen on, or visit our website at guelphvineyard.com. Here's this week's message brought to you by our pastor, Chris McQueen. So I really have felt like uh, in this whole pursuit of wholeheartedness that we we started talking about last week, um, to drill in really specifically, we touched on it a little bit last week, but the next two teachings... Um, are going to be to really explore probably the most quoted passage. Uh, the most it's called the Golden Rule, right? When when Jesus is asked what's the what's the most important thing, right? What does he say? This is love God and love your neighbor. And so, um, so this morning I want to just dive a little bit deeper into the first part of that, and then in a uh, in a few weeks. Uh, we're going to hit the second part of that. What does it look like to love our neighbor as ourselves, and what's kind of the big uh, story that's happening here? I do want to just also throw out though um, that next week we're going to do things a little differently. We're going to have a potluck. We're going to have a bit of an extended. It's going to be a fun worship time together, um, and then I really would love to hear what God is doing in our lives as a group of people. And so, I would love if we would all give some thought. And, and you don't have to, no one has to share anything. That's not the kind of space we want to create. But if you would give some thought to just, if you had five minutes to describe what was going on in your life and in your journey with God, what would you share? And if we can have four or five people who are able to sort of share a little bit about what's going on, what God is doing, what you're seeing, what you're feeling, it doesn't always have to be a win either, but just to have some community time. So we're going to share food next week. We're also hopefully going to share some of, of, our, of our stories, right? They can be God's stories. They can be, it, you know. Um, so I just want to throw that out there, that that's hopefully what next week is going to look like. And I'll, I will have something in my back pocket in case we have a shy moment. Um, but, uh, yeah. So anyway. Okay, so Matthew 20, 22. Uh, is where we have this very concise um, thing where Jesus is is asked, uh, uh, you know, what's the most important thing? And he says, and we just we just referenced it. He says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second one is like it: love your neighbor as yourself." And he says, "All the law and the prophets." Uh, hang on these two commandments, right? So all of the direction that the, that the Bible gives us, because we have, we have books that are full of direction and the law and the prophets where God is speaking, and then we have all of these books and stories which are the history of the people of Israel attempting and repeatedly failing to follow that, right? But Jesus says whenever God is speaking to us, it hangs on these two things, right? Love God and love your neighbor. So where did Jesus get these ideas from? Apart from the fact that he's God and so is kind of at the, at the headwater of this idea. But he's quoting, right? When Jesus says this, he's quoting. Do we know where he's quoting from? There's two sources. Yeah. So first is in Deuteronomy. Right, Deuteronomy six, and this is this is where we get the very specific um, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
all your soul, with all your strength, right? So this is specifically where that is being pulled from. In fact, it says this specifically, listen, Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You must love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your being, and with all your, all your strength, right? Um, and then the other is interesting. I always thought, you know, I, I hadn't really done a super in-depth study. You'd think that, I, that you'd consider that, but, I mean, Jesus said it really concisely, and so it kind of becomes a new point of reference. But the love your neighbor as yourself is actually, it's, it's, uh, it's in Leviticus, and we're going to touch on this in a few weeks, but it's kind of a backwater throwaway passage. Like it's not in the, it's not, it's not woven into the Ten Commandments. It's not highlighted in any Bible that I've ever seen, right? It's just kind of a, it's a tag on that explains a, a, a passage that's basically saying, don't be rude to your neighbors, right? And I just found that, I found it so interesting that Jesus, he pulls, you know, the one is, has a, has an echo of, of the, the Ten Commandments, which are sort of the big, Posts that we have, you know, that God put in the ground and said, "This, this sort of is the is the the law." And so I just found that very interesting. The mind of Jesus, how he was able to reach and and pull these things together, and how he does that and synthesizes them as part of the bigger story that we're going to talk about. So, just kind of exploring a little bit more into this Deuteronomy passage, right? Um. So, and this is probably not a shock, but when it says, love the Lord, your God, it's really, the passage is not specifically referring to a feeling, right? It's, it's not saying, it's, it's not saying have ecstatic, emotional love and gratitude, to God. That, I mean, it's not saying don't do that, but there's something that is deeper that's being called on, right? And Jesus starts to get into it a lot when he says, if you love me, you'll, you'll what? You'll do what I say, right? You'll put into practice what I'm saying. And there's something that is like in the, in the bones of how you do your life, demonstrate, demonstrate love. And, and that's a very important piece for us to understand because because it employs our, our decision maker, right? I know that my heart is a very difficult thing to manage some of the time. I can't force it to feel something. Do you guys know that? Do you guys know it's really hard to force your heart to feel something? Right? And so this is actually a, a grace. It sounds a little bit less like it... It kind of sounds like a lower bar in some ways because, of course, I want to be an ecstatic lover of Jesus. I want to follow him with all my heart, which means I don't want to feel bad things in, in, in the presence of God. I want, to, I want to feel like I'm in the, the early flushes of new love when, in how I approach God. That's what I would love to feel, but I can't manufacture that. So the fact that the invitation is into something that's a practice, something that is, that's intent is actually a grace to me. So here's an interesting thing. Love the Lord with all your mind is, is the translation that I have. Um, a, lot of, a lot of translations will say, love the Lord with all of your heart, right? 
And so again, this is what we touched on a little bit last week. There's some repetition here, but I think it's because it bears repeating. So in the, 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 the people who are writing this, in their sensibilities, their, their brain was not their decision maker. Their heart was their decision maker. Right? It was more of a gut heart thing, which, is, which makes a lot of sense if you don't have, if you don't have a, an understanding of what the brain does. Where do you feel your decisions? Where do you wrestle with your decisions? Where do you, it's all, it's, it's, it's here. So there's this, there is this sense of when it, of, of heart, with all of your heart and with all of your mind in the text is saying the same thing. It's saying in your decision maker. And we referenced it last week that our decision maker is also actually in practice for us too. Uh, we feel our way through life. We make our decisions in a lot of ways based on our intuition, which is a little bit deeper. So this is where our decision maker is, and this is where our decision rationalizer is, right? So our brain justifies us, right? So this is the thing that we're called to follow him with, right? To shape. And another note as we talk about this idea of with all of your being, with all your heart, with all of your soul. Again, soul, we, th- we tend to divide or have weird conceptions of what this word means, but it, it means who you are, right? The soul in the Hebrew mind is your person, your personhood, who you are, the, the, the sum total, Right? If you cut off an arm, have you lost a piece of your soul? Right? No, your, your, your self is intact. And the call is to follow God with your personhood, with who you are, with your God-breathed and given personality. Right? And all of the complexity that's, that's there. So this is, this is not just about decision-making. It's not just about making sure we live a certain kind of way. It is about saying, with my person. I love, I follow, right? It's the sum total. And then, of course, with all of your strength, it, this speaks to very, in very specific terms, our physicality, right? Our capacity. We follow him with what we've got. Put it into practice. This is, what the law of God pours out as, right? So the whole word that hangs over this conversation is this thing about wholeheartedness. What does it mean to be wholehearted? Clearly, this is a a comprehensive statement that says, love God wholeheartedly, right? Love him with with everything that you have. Um, And I've been thinking about that in... uh, and here's, here's a really important piece of the puzzle, and we touched on it in worship. It's why we finished with the How He Loves Us song. It's because that we will, we will never be able to enter into a wholeheartedness towards God if, we, if we're not responding to Him. If we think we are initiating anything, it's a doomed it's a doomed thing it just doesn't work the math falls apart 
right? The math falls apart because we just are not capable of sustaining that kind of wholeheartedness of our own volition. My strength runs out, your strength runs out. My commitments run out, your commitments run out. It's just the way it works. But in a response model where we understand, we understand that our wholeheartedness is in response to what? To, to God's wholeheartedness, right? He is describing here, he is describing his MO. We read it as a command and it feels like an oppression, But when we read it as a response, we recognize the character of God in this. And we say that God is, with all of his capacity and will and decision-making, he is leaning towards us with his love, right? With his whole personhood, which we understand now is this complicated trinity, and yet we see in Jesus this, you know, the, the, the direct image of who God is. And he is, and that is directed towards us wholeheartedly. And with all of his strength, it's, this is responsive material. And we know it because Jesus demonstrated it completely, right? He showed us how to do it towards God, but more particularly, he showed how God moves towards us the very way he's called us to, right? And so I want to say this. I think wholeheartedness in a single word is yes, It's a profound, affirmative yes. Hey, kids, if you guys are, and we've talked about this before, but you know what, if it worked the first time, hopefully it'll work this time too. So if you're asked to clean your rooms, what is your response usually? Is it no? Do you like, do you like absolutely, so, okay, so I'm going to, so do you not do it? Okay, so you do it. Right, okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. So what's the expression on your face when you're asked to clean your room? Uh, right? Yeah. Uh. But you know where it's going, right? Like, you know you're not going to get out of it, right? So you know that it's like, okay, I'm going to, uh, yeah. Right? And the cycle commences, right? So... This is this I think in a lot of ways can typify what what our yes can look like. Ugh. Mm. All right. <laughs> right. So the call to us, which reflected here, is where we've done the, the heart work and we've done and and we've and we are able to see God's profound movement towards us and respond with a wholehearted yes. Right? And a wholehearted yes. So on, say, say that on Mother's Day you get asked to clean your room. Is the response any different? Dude. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, on Liv's birthday, the request for a back rub is far quicker fulfilled than on the average day, I would say. Right? My response is different. There's more of a wholeheartedness that's in it. Right? So, not just any kind of yes, not a reluctant yes, all an unreserved yes. Right? Affirmative. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What's another give me a give me another word in yet for da. We. Sorry? Ye. I was like, no, that sounds like a no. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know what the most affirmative word in uh, any language anywhere is? And it's the same word in most languages. It's the most profound word for yes. You know what it is? Amen. That actually is, what that means is a wholehearted yes. That's why we put it on the end of our prayers, right? A wholehearted yes. It is an affirmative and it's so interesting. It shows up the same way in just about every language. Amen, amen, amun, right? Like there's, it's, it's very consistent. That is the kind of yes that we are, that we are hungering for, that I want to encourage us towards. So, so that sounds pretty simple. Okay, so God says something and I'm going to train myself to say yes to that. I'm going to shape my heart and my loves like we talked about last week. Um, here's the thing that occurred to me. Do you know what a wholehearted yes requires? I think that the kind of wholehearted yes that God is asking from us also requires an equally powerful and strong and profound wholehearted no. That was an interesting thought to me. Right? And suddenly certain things came to light. If you think about the, if you think about the nature of, of the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments are not necessarily ten yeses so much as they are ten no's. Right? It's, it's, it's sort of a challenging thing. Like, why so negative? <laughs> right? Why so negative? Um, I think that it's really important to know that wholeheartedness has everything to do with being exclusive. That there's an exclusivity to this kind of yes. Right? Now, we get to manage our yeses and our noes um, all over the place. And that's wise for us to do that and have boundaries. But it was just an interesting thought to me. Wow, a wholehearted yes in the direction of God, it's going to, it's going to equate to a wholehearted, wholehearted no. What's the very first commandment of the ten, right? It's not love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. That's not the first commandment in the, right? Jesus said the first commandment. Well, he, it's interesting. He, in his mind, ties two things together, but the scriptures actually, the first commandment is, you shall not have any gods but me. It's a demand for exclusivity. It's actually saying, it's, it's inviting us towards a no, which is fascinating and challenging, right? Now, I want to make sure that, you know, we can paint things in absolute black and white terms all the time, right? And I don't know that that's always helpful. But I think in this regard, it absolutely is. Right? A yes, a yes for God means a no. So part of the question that I would like you to walk away with today is to ask the question, Lord, Lord, where do I where where are there no's that I need to bring into my life? Right? Um, there's a whole uh, like the the foundation of this thinking goes very deeply. The, the fundamental thing that caused Israel to always fall away from God's ideal for them, we would say it's, it was sin, but more particularly, it was idolatry. It was a redirection and a refocusing so that the yes that was reserved for God, that they oftentimes didn't stop saying yes. They still showed up for their festivals. They still showed up to the temple. They still made their sacrifices. And God said, these things stink to me right now. Why? Because, they're, because they had their yes, but not their no. So it's a challenging thing. 
But I think it's part of what wholeheartedness looks like. In this thinking, it lands us super squarely right back into his probably most famous teaching, right? The Sermon on the Mount. A couple of, a couple of things um, show up for me. One is this bizarre passage. It feels strange to me if I don't, you know, it's, and it's, it's caused us a bit of trouble in the church. Where Jesus says, you know, I, I, yeah, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, Right? I tell you the truth, un- until heaven and earth have passed away, not a single letter or stroke of the, of the letter will pass from the law until everything takes place. So anyone who breaks the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever obeys them and teaches others to do so will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness goes beyond that of the experts in the law or the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven like that's a heavy that's a heavy text right because how many of you are following the letter of of Moses law none of us are doing that right and we have all i mean paul has some wonderful things that he says and perspective that he brings to this but what's jesus getting at what is jesus getting at i think that in a lot of ways because of the other things that he says what he's saying is don't think that i've come to make this don't think that I've come to dilute this, right? Don't think that I've come to dilute the point and the purpose. And the point and the purpose, we can think of as righteousness, right? Self-righteousness, being good enough. No, 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 no. Wholeheartedness. If that's, if that's what the law is hanging on, wholeheartedness is what he's calling us to. Now, does that look like righteousness? Uh-huh. Right? But our motives matter profoundly in this. And wholeheartedness also gives us an entry point into grace, an entry point into repentance. Right? Because we're redirecting. We are refocusing. We're turning. The other thing that comes to my mind, and it's from the same section, is from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, is Matthew five thirty-three to 37, where he talks about this thing of, you know, stop saying oaths, right? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Which is always, I never quite understood that again, right? Like, um, you know, sure. But is it, is it wrong to make a promise? Like, what's the, what's, I, I'm confused by that. I've been confused by that. And, and here's the thing that came to mind as I was reflecting on this, thinking of yeses and noes and what Jesus had to say about that. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And I was thinking about promises. It, it occurred to me how often I leverage my yes. If I make a promise, again, kids, we can talk about this. How often do we make a promise so that we can get something? Right? Right? I promise you I will clean my room if you will, what? Let me play an extra half an hour of my video game, right? <laughs> like I was there, right? I'm leveraging, and I, it, it occurs to me, how many of us negotiate our yeses, even in our prayer life, even with God? Yes, God, I will give you this if, if you will do this. God, I will give you this if you will take away that. Right? I negotiate if I'm not careful with my yeses. 
And I think the part of what Jesus is saying is he's saying, no, no, you've missed it. You've missed it. If you think your yes means means anything as a negotiating tool, you've missed completely who I am. You don't even under, You don't even know me. If you think you have to negotiate with me, you don't even know me. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't need to leverage it. Right? And when we leverage our yes, what are we doing? We're dividing our heart. Right? We're, this, we're stepping back from wholeheartedness and into something else. So wholeheartedness, it removes this transactional thing about our promises. Right? And I want to close out just by making, I want to, uh, by comparing two words. Right? I want to compare a contract. And a contract is what? It's a negotiated yes, right? We both sign on this and we're both in agreement with it. Right? So a contract. And then there's this other word, which is a more, it's an older word. We use it in a very specific context, some of us. But what, any guesses what the, what the, Covenant. Yeah, perfect. You got it. Covenant. Right? And I think it's, I think it's beautiful. I think what Jesus is, out, is laying out for us here, particularly in some of this language around the Sermon on the Mount, is he is, without saying it super clearly, because for whatever reason, Jesus just didn't believe in teaching in a straight line, um, but he's reflecting covenantal love. A covenantal yes is different than a negotiated yes. Right, a covenantal yes, it it is absolute trust. It is absolute trust, right? The absurdity of what God asks of us, though, is that, like, if we think we have to negotiate and have like a prenup in our in our yes to Jesus, we fundamentally misunderstood his coming with the goods. Right? The, the character and nature of God. Right? Because he comes with everything. He's already covenantally attached to us, bound to us. He's done that. This is part of the cross as well. The demonstration of the cross is this covenantal love. It says, I give everything. Right? And so this morning, I want to, as we leave, as we go into our beautiful day today, I want to I wanna invite you to step into this idea of an unreserved yes to Jesus, right? And to, and to listen for him. I can't stand up here and start identifying what your no's need to be, right? I don't want to, this is not the, you know, we're not going to get into a burn your secular music party, you know, but I know there is going to be some. There's going to be a no that God is going to say. This is part of what the yes is, right? So uh, can we close out by singing a song together? This will be a, 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 so we can take it as ministry. We can sing it declaratively. It's a new song, but it's very simple. It's new to you. It's a very simple song. It's, it's just called We Say Yes. And the main lyric is this. You ready? We say yes. Yes, yes, yes. And we sing that like at least 10 times in the course of the song. So it's very simple. So Liv, can you come? And uh, this is a song that's, uh, 
that I wrote a few years ago with some of you might know Dan Wilt uh, from Cambridge Vineyard days years ago. And uh, anyway, we wrote this song, and it was just reflecting on what does it mean to be a, have an affirmative yes. I want you. I want to invite you to stand if you can.
So let me just uh, invite you into the fullness of of what we say yes to you. I want to pray that we would have moments of absolute clarity this week. That we, when we respond to you and say yes to you and no to something, just our attention would be called to that moment and we would recognize, oh, this is following you. This is following Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yes.